I, I, uh, part of me hopes that uh, we'll get done today because uh, we have a lot of other things to cover um, in this this spring, um, and I'm anxious to not to, to to be able to cover as much as we can. But we'll also just see how it goes, and uh, if we have a really good conversation about. One of these, then we'll, we may need to finish next week. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we give praise to you for your kindness and your tenderness toward your people and for the gift that you've given us of uh, a chance on the Lord's Day to gather for worship and for fellowship and for uh, being... Uh, uh, and learning your word and we pray that you'd be with us as we contemplate this privilege this morning and uh, that it might be used to help us to make better use of the time that we have together and to uh, come more alert and more eager and more hungry we pray in Jesus name Amen Okay, so we've talked about the conversational nature of worship, how we're speaking to God and God and listening to God speak to us, and that all the whole worship service is a back and forth between us and God. And certainly one of the major parts of uh, the worship service, indeed the main part perhaps, is the Word of God. Um, because this is, of course, God's communication to us. And, um, and we do this in a number of ways. We talked last week about music and the whole thing of singing. And, um, and, of course, that's one of the ways that we address God. But the fact is that, that it's also a way that, that we listen to the Word of God. A lot of the, the songs that we sing are really God's Word to us, not just are uh, crying out to God. Um, we sing of his promises, you know. We sing, uh, how firm a foundation, ye saints of the Lord, is laid for your faith in his wonderful word. And then the rest of the hymn goes on to remind us of some of God's great promises to his people. And, uh, and so it's really not unidirectional that hymn, and many aren't. It's God speaking to us, but it's also us praising him in response to what he said. And uh, so the word of God has a very central part to play in the worship service. And we, we actually use the word of God in a number of different ways. Take, for instance, our worship service. What are, what are ways that the Word of God is included in our worship service? Just shout out some quick ways. Responsive reading, where we uh, recite God's Word back and forth antiphonally. The sermon text. The creedal readings are often either, they're all either 
based on scripture or their scripture themselves. You know, we do the Ten Commandments and the Beatitudes and the passage from Colossians 1, all of which are, uh, and the Lord's Prayer, all of which are right from scripture. Lots of songs. We sing scripture songs. And, uh, and even the ones that aren't directly from scripture are singing the truth of scripture. Lord, hopefully, that's, that's what we're trying to do anyway. What else? Sorry? Okay. There, there's, you would definitely, there's, you would find that in a number of different ways in the communion. You know, the word of God is recited in the introduction, but it's also, we're doing what we're told in scripture to do. Yes, benediction. George. Is there anything in the worship service that is not using God's word? Well, I mean, intercessory prayer is obviously obeying God's word, but it's not necessarily um, using God's word in every sense. You know, it's all a matter of how direct you're talking about. But, you know, when we're praying for uh, Susie's. migraine headaches but you're right it, it is I mean that's the whole idea is that our worship is supposed to be directed by and informed by and structured by God's word of course you know someone said the ser- scripture sermon scripture um, the sermon itself is obviously supposed to be um, the explanation and application of God's word and um, and so all of these different ways of um, accessing God's word, um, and it's it's you know the, the fact is, you know when Jesus says abide in me, and then he goes on, he uses another synonym for that a little bit later. He says abide in my word. And so it's really the same thing, to abide in Christ and to abide in his word. So, you know, getting scripture into us, obviously it's not just an academic thing, but it does involve the intellect, it does involve the understanding, and um, it's not just a mystical thing where you're close to God but have no right thinking about God but so it's not just intellectual but it is involves the intellect it involves learning involves paying attention it involves thinking about what something means and pondering that truth and um, and so um, you know obviously one of the things that's very different about our worship than worship in ancient days is that we have access to the word of God outside of the context of the worship gathering to a much higher degree than many times they did. You know, in the New Testament, for instance, it, several times it repeats the, the concept that you're, we're supposed to have the public reading of scripture. And um, but that, that's, I mean, they were, that was their, almost their whole access for many of them. Weren't, they didn't have, 
even if they were literate, which not all of them were, they didn't have a copy of the scriptures. You know, when you're copying it by hand, it's a whole different thing than when they have a printing press that shoots them out one after the other or when they're on, the, on your phone or on your computer. And so we have so much more access to the Word of God. So when we come to church, it's very easy for us to sort of, well, let me just talk about the way that this has affected us as, a, as people, just this technology. Um, we don't feel like we have to know something because we have access to it whenever we want it. We can ask Alexa, or we can, you know, go look something up. We don't need to learn stuff anymore. Even in math, in school, kids are like, why do I have to learn this? I can just get the answer anytime I want from my computer or my phone. Why do I have to learn stuff? Why do I have to be able to figure everything out? And, and this is the effect that this technology is having on just the way that we use our brains, our minds. And some of that is fine. But when it comes to the Word of God, it's different because we're not just talking about information. When you have a math issue that you have to figure out, you know, you have to figure out at the grocery store how much you can spend, you, that's a whole different matter than when it comes to the Word of God because the Word of God is something that you need in your heart, not just in your mind. And so um, it's easy, though, for that mentality about knowledge to pass on to our attitude toward the Word of God, that we don't really need to know it. Because we can look it up. You know, where's the parable of the, of the unmerciful steward? Well, we don't know, need to know where it is because we can just Google it anytime we want and look it up. And so we're just used to uh, using these technologies almost like we use the cloud. You know, it's like we have a brain outside of our brain. And it's got every, all the knowledge in it, and we can download it anytime we need it. The problem is that when we don't have it, it doesn't affect us. When it's just out there in the cloud, it doesn't have an effect on us. We've got to have it in order to. And so it's important that we not allow our attitude towards the Word of God, and in particular towards the worship service and and the way that the worship service feeds our minds with the truth of God and with the word of God, that we don't allow the mentality of the day as a result of modern technology to um, make us think that this, that knowing the word of God isn't really that important. Um, and so in the worship service, if you have that mentality, it's it's easy to just basically put your mind in a certain mode where it's like you're looking for information that you need right now. And you're sort of filtering through all that's coming. The hymn singing, 
this creedal readings, everything, and you're just looking for something that you need right now. You see, the danger of that is that if you, maybe your mother's going to die tomorrow of a sudden heart attack, and you need it tomorrow, but you don't feel the need for it today. Well, if you don't grab it today, you won't have it tomorrow. George. many factors that go in, but the first principle, it seems to me, in addressing that issue is that um, God doesn't lay down rules about this. He gives us the Lord's Day, which is a day of, as even in Leviticus, it's called a day of convocation, which means a day of coming together. So there is a principle of, of God's people gathering together and, um, but that's all that we're given. We're not, and, that, and we're told, you know, do not forsake the gathering. And then we're also told, encourage one another daily that no one might stray from the truth. So there is a, obviously, this is not just, we can't just rely on a once a week gathering. It's got to be more than that. But the fact is, in different eras, in different times, you can connect in different ways. It doesn't have to be that everybody's getting together every single day, right? To encourage each other every day. There's all kinds of ways that we can be encouraging each other every day. Um, and so we do have to, to uh, make those evaluations and make those judgments according to wisdom. But we shouldn't be feeling like, oh... What you know, I want to do this right as if there's a clearly laid out right and wrong on this kind of issue. Um, and that second of all, there's all these in our in our day we have access, better access, closer access to fantastic preaching, fantastic teaching, fantastic writing. You know, it's pretty much so much of it's there and you can access that almost constantly you know so conveniently and free so it, so we you know it's we don't have to rely on just getting together um obviously getting together hasn't been um you know that's not outdated that's still an important part. But, but in terms of making the ju judgment of how often we're going to get together, 
that certainly is one of the factors that keep in mind. And, uh, and the communication we can have without, you know, without getting together flesh to flesh. So, um, but these are, these are important issues. But at least when we are together, we ought to make the most of those opportunities and come at the worship service with the hunger that I'm preparing myself not only for today, I'm not here ultimately just so I can feel better when I walk out of the church than I felt when I came in. Although that is significant itself because we want to meet God here. And it is a wonderful blessing. You know, when people walked away from Jesus, believers, they almost always were feeling better when they walked away from him than when they first came to him. And so there's nothing wrong with feeling better when you walk away. That's one of the natural outcomes of meeting with Jesus for those who love him. But um, but even uh, but it's not just for today. It's you know because I, I'm, I'm, I don't know how long it is before I'm going to be with him again. And so I want to store up like a camel. You know, I want to, I want to drink up because I may be marching through a wilderness. I may spend the next month in a hospital. You know, we, we just don't know what's going to happen when we leave this place. And so we're foolish if we get spoiled by the regularity and the comfort and the ease and the predictability, the apparent predictability of our society. And just think, oh, I don't really feel like I need to go to church today. Or, I don't really need to pay attention today because I'm doing fine. Those are dangerous attitudes because we have no idea what's going to happen. And, uh, and one, of the, boy, one of the big lessons I've learned in my life is that you can't think about tomorrow based on today and the day before. You just have no idea. Things, you know, in both directions. If things are gliding along just fine, so many times in my life, I'm just like, hey, this is, you know, just lay back and sort of enjoy the ride. And then the next day, it's like you're down on your knees crying out. It's like, what happened? And the same thing the other way, you know, when, when it's like the sky is falling, the sky is falling, everything's terrible. And then the Lord pulls something and changes everything. It's like, why was I so discouraged? And so we, we need to be people that are thinking long term and not just thinking of the experience of today but equipping ourselves for the long term. Who has, a, who has a thought? If you like to raise your hand and, uh, and share it. Okay, so let me ask this question. Um, what are ways that we can prepare ourselves to get the most out of God's word 
in the worship service. Yes, very true. And, you know, um, in my preaching, I assume a certain level of knowledge of the Bible. And that's a luxury. And I realize that that means that some people get left behind. That when I make reference to the story of, you know, it's like Jacob and Esau and the uh, bowl of stew. And, you know... Most of the people are right with me and know exactly what I'm talking about, but some are like, what is that? And that, that, it just goes right over their heads. They don't know what I'm talking about. Um, we have a friend, Marianne, one of Marianne's best friends, and she's pretty much spent her whole life in the New Testament. And, and she's now in a study where they're going through the Old Testament stories, and it's like hearing it for the first time. And it's, she's having a great experience. She loves it. But, you know, people like that are going to be, are going to miss a lot from my preaching because I presume that people know most of this stuff. And I, I'm sorry if that's you. I'm not going to ask for a raise of hands. But uh, sometimes I'm sure some of you have had the experience and I, and I, uh, I hate to leave people behind, but if you, if you, you know, if you're teaching a class and and you are always thinking about the person that knows the least, then you're going over the basics all the time, and the people that do know it, you know, you're not pressing them on farther. So it's a difficult thing to to do. What else can we do to prepare to get the most out of God's word in the worship service? Is that a hand raised, Joel? Or? Yes. Um, also think about what you immerse yourself in apart from scriptures. Um, you know, we're inundated with the culture of media, ideas, and I've seen over and over again with myself what I choose to listen to, what I choose to absorb impacts me in ways that I wouldn't think. I think that we are an observer who's taking that and analyzing it, but we also absorb it. So if there's anger, if there's outrage, if there's whatever it is, we need to be cognizant of how that impacts our hearts. And we sort of know this with our kids, is that we want to limit their exposure, but sometimes we think that we're immune to that. Um, you know, if I watch this movie, you're familiar with you know, it's just entertainment. It's not going to impact me. It's not going to change things. Right. So I think that's part of preparing for worship is to have wisdom in first acknowledging that we're not as strong as we think we are when it comes to how those things penetrate the heart. It's also looking for the truth of God in creation. And I don't just mean nature. I mean even... You know, movies and stories and and opinions of others. The fact is, there's much in everyday life that reflects God and His ways. And if you're alert to that, you know, you can see them in ways that you don't. If you're just out there 
to like if you're going to watch a movie just to get your mind off your life but if you're watching the movie to learn something about God even you see a dark movie it's like wow that really teaches us about the sin of pride or that really teaches us about how people uh, turn against each other and even the wicked are each other's enemies you know there's, there's always things that are redemptive that you can learn even from completely secular things and many 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 stories have been written that have a meaning way beyond what the author intended because there's another author behind him author with a capital A George Very good. So be prayerful about um, coming. Be mindful that, you know, there really every Sunday morning, it's a banquet that's bigger than you can digest. So to come hungry, you know, if, you, if, you, uh, if you're already full when you come, then you're not going to enjoy the meal as much and get not even be able to eat as much. So to pray for an attitude of hunger and to, to meditate upon what an opportunity this is. This is God speaking to us, meeting with us. And just because he does it every week doesn't mean that this isn't an extraordinary thing because there are people around the world that have never once, much as they long for it, had the chance to do what we do every week. You know, we've talked about this, and this was especially helpful in the book of Revelation, where you familiarize yourself with the passage each week. And, um, you know, I know that, I mean, in Revelation, we had it all laid out so that you would know what was the next passage. And we made that relatively easy for you. And, uh, but anybody who wants to, can find that out pretty easily so that you can you know come sort of ready to grapple with the passage you know knowing what are the questions that this passage raises what are the difficulties in this passage and once you know once you if you come just ready for those then you're more ready to access the sermon and uh, because at least you know me, I try to cram a lot into a sermon. I don't, um, you know, I'm not just this one simple lesson kind of preacher. Um, I, I feel like I have only one lifetime <laughs> to preach. So it's, it's, uh, that's just the way I think. And I realize that that's something that makes for some people is, makes it harder and more inaccessible. But that, that's what you got right now, and for a few more months, anyway. Okay, then let's, uh, let's turn to the subject of the sacraments, and especially the Lord's Supper. Um, you know, we do the Lord's Supper every week, 
um, unlike most Presbyterian churches. Um, and uh, um, there's, there's reasons why we do that. It's, it's, uh, it's a blessing, and we want as much blessing as we can. It's the Lord is, reveals himself, the Lord meets us there, so why wouldn't we want to see the Lord more and meet him more? Um, the, the general argument against it is experiential, existential, that if it's repeated too often, it doesn't seem as special. And of course, you know, I'm not belittling that at all because, <clears throat> because th- there's a certain psychological truth to that. Um, but, you know, there, it's sort of silly to... Um, it, you can take that to a silly po- level. You know, let's just do it once a year. So then it's really special. Or, you know, husband and wife... You know, just be intimate with each other once a year. Wow, then it would be really special. It's just like there's all kinds of things that that uh, yeah, it, it's there is a problem in human psych, psyche that that uh, when we do get f- too familiar with something, it becomes sort of it loses its luster, it it loses its pizzazz for us. But that's not a problem with the thing. It's a problem with us. So it seems to me, let's work on us instead of working on, you know, the uh, the re- repetitive nature of the thing. Um, you know, if my wife and I have gone on a date night virtually every week since we, we were dating over 50 years, and... Um, you know, is every one of those date nights spectacular? You know, romantic? So that we're melting? No. No. But does that mean that we're doing it too often? I just don't think that that's the answer. The answer is, well, let's try to enhance the beauty and the spectacle and the and the sparkle of it let's think about how we can you know be more psychologically prepared for it so that we do have better times and it's not just oh here we are again it's you and me so so um, that that has to do with the the re- repetitive nature of it the fact is that um, the lord's supper is a precious gift that God has given his people. It's clear that it's supposed to be done when we're all together and not, you know, individually, privately, or as families. Um, You know, in 1 Corinthians 11, it's pretty clear that it's in the gathering of God's people together. And um, so what are ways that we can, since we do this every week, what are ways that we can sort of uh, not, sort of resist the human tendency to wane in our appreciation of it and enhance our appreciation of it um, since we do it regularly. I don't know 
week to week. But when we have a guest preacher in, when you're gone for whatever reason, thinking he's doing it right. You know, he's he's not hitting the right notes. And you know, they may this may be the one time in three years they get to do this. But right. yeah, I mean that, those are the things I have to struggle with. Right, so the repetitive nature of it. Right, so you have to fight against those temptations to be focusing on the wrong thing. Correct. And that's a very, it's the funniest thing. When a guy comes in, and we do a little communion differently than any other church, just like most churches do it a little differently than any other church, but we do it a little bit more differently than any other church. And so, um, you know, they get everything written out, but it's not like, it's like this is the, the, they've just learned the foxtrot, and this is the first time they're ever trying it. And and so, and the funny thing is, the whole congregation knows the foxtrot, like it's second nature to them. And here's, we're watching this guy, and everyone else knows what he's supposed to be saying, except for him. And so it's a really awkward situation. Um, but, and it's easy to be focusing on him, instead of on the, the Lord who's here and meeting us. It reminds me of that wonderful story that came from that, I think it came from one of those worship conferences that the worship team went to many years ago, where a um, man who was you know, a worship leader was at a conference, and he was, and they were having a worship service. And he was sitting there, and of course he was thinking about, you know, the strengths and weaknesses of how this worship service was being conducted. And the music, and the, the leader, and the, everything. And so, um, the service ended, and, um, you know, he had all this critique that in his mind, and the guy next to him, this elderly African-American man sitting next to him, and as soon as it was over, he turned to him and said, with tears in his eyes, he says, wasn't that beautiful? And he thought, wow, I was just completely programmed about focusing on how the whole thing was going. And this guy was meeting Christ here. And he was convicted of, of that. And it's so easy to get in that mindset where we're, in, even in the sermon, you know, it's like we're evaluating the sermon instead of listening to God. We're, we're like, I don't agree with that point. Or even, you know, that illustration, it just keeps, you can't, can't stop thinking about an illustration instead of getting the point of the illustration and moving on. So that's a kind of mental battle that every one of us has to fight. It's just the way we are. And you can just completely get off track if you just let yourself. What are other things that are helpful? Sarah? Sarah? single sin, but just that I am a sinner. And even the sins that I've committed 
this hour. Like, I need this. And that's why it's so special. Even though I do it every week, I could take communion every day and I would still need it because I'm a sinner hourly, minute, minute by minute. So that's kind of what I do is I try to, yeah, I'm doing this like earthly thing that I do every week. I'm just taking like this stale wafer, gluten-free wafer and this like thing of grape juice that's, you know, in earthly measures. I remember one time you said that this meal is very meager here. Yep. But one day it won't be. And right. it represents something so much more. Right. And so like my earthly meal isn't that much, but what it represents is right. like my sins are taken away. Right. And I'm admitted to having communion with God. So yep. I just try to put myself to remember who I am. Yep. And why this is supposed to be special. Right. Yeah, and it's so easy for us because we're visual to be focused on what we can see instead of seeing through what we can see to the God who's behind it. And, uh, and you know, the bread and the cup, they, if, you, if we let ourselves, we're just thinking of bread and cup. How does this taste? You know, I want to make sure I get a big enough piece or small enough piece or whatever instead of realizing that that Jesus said this is my body and he's giving it to me and take it personally that this is something that Jesus has given to me through others who don't look very much like Jesus a lot of times but ultimately there's a big hand that's giving you this and saying this is my body for you and, and that, so, so, you know, it's a matter of working, trying to work your mind to be thinking about the truth that's here, the Christ that's here, not just the, you know, the, is he going to come to me next? You know, which circle am I going to grab from? That's the kind of thing our minds easily become preoccupied with, but we miss, miss the whole thing. Others, let me ask you a question. How many of you like wine? About half like wine. Um, now wine, it, you know, here, wine is supposed to be both pleasant and difficult. It's not, you know, it's not like Kool-Aid or orange juice or apple juice that's something that's you know just purely one thing or another it's a combination of sweetness deliciousness and bitterness and i think that's why jesus used wine as a symbol because it's it is something that is has the difficulty the bitterness in it, but also the pleasantness, the deliciousness in it, and um, and so um, you know we we have both on our tray um, for a number of reasons. One reason, the main reason, is so that those who, by conscience, have 
have committed themselves to not partake don't don't aren't forced to either forego com- communion or or uh, compromise their conscience um, and we've had people in the past who you know were alcoholic alcoholics and they've committed themselves and they feel like one drink and I'm off the wagon so for people like that who in you know like as it says in Romans 14 that the weaker brethren um, who you know who can't enjoy it without it causing them to stumble we have grape juice but this isn't to offer people whichever you prefer whichever tastes better to you whichever leaves you with a better aftertaste or something like that it's not the purpose of it um, there are other people too who benefit from it one is you know a little child who um, isn't ready to take wine yet and the age at which that happens is up to the parents but it shouldn't be up to the children in my opinion it shouldn't be up to the children because uh, the child is almost always going to want the grape juice because it's more pleasant but then you miss part of the point of the um, of the, the wine you know if, if you haven't read a, a study on why wine is used in communion, there's one on our website, I believe. And it's, you know, it's a deeper symbolism than just that this is the drink that we have at the, at the Passover that Jesus happened to pick up and that's what he passed around. Um, you know, when he said, take this cup from me, you know, he wasn't talking about Kool-Aid, this is, this is wine and that's, there's a connection between us partaking of communion and Jesus partaking of the wrath of God, which was symbolized by a cup of wine, just a few hours later, right? At the cross. So, um, so, as you, as you, and I know we have, we have about the I mean, the wine that we have, some people don't even, can hardly bear it because it's so mild, so toned down. And, you know, so we're, but I, and there, there are times where, um, you know, you have wine in communion and you say, you drink and everybody drinks and there's like four or five people that go, <coughs> because they're not used to this kind of drink. You know, that's the same thing if I took a swig of whiskey. That's exactly what I would do, right? Because I'm not used to it. So, um, so we have, we, we, are, we believe in wine, and for theological reasons, not just because that's what Jesus did, but we also have it, we're leaning as far towards it being a something that isn't disruptive of your bodily you know functions so that you can aren't distracted by all of a sudden um, what you've just had to drink so I understand that anyway we're out of time and uh, thank you we're, starting next week um, 
I'm going to spend a few weeks um, talking about, in this, in the class, talking about lessons that I've learned in my 42, 40, coming up on 42 years of ministry. So we'll do that for like a month, and then we'll go on to another. Uh, we have a lot to do still. I want to, we're going to talk about the Sabbath principle, talk about hopefully the Christian freedom, a number of other things. But next week, we're going to start uh, talking about what uh, lessons that I've learned in my uh, years of ministry. Things that I didn't see or know or understand when I started that through experience have come to see or know. Heavenly Father, thank you for the pleasant and uh, edifying topic of worship and uh, we pray that you would help us, O Lord, to make better use of this precious opportunity that you've given us each week. We pray especially this morning, dear Lord, that you would help us to come to you and not just to gather as if all we, all there is, is what we can see. But help us to run, as it were, into your arms in worship this morning. We pray in Jesus' name.